Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Uh, not too bad. All not right. Too bad. Good to hear. And we are talking some basketball history, as we like to do, telling a few stories about the basketball history, perhaps. Uh, now that we're at the uh, step back, enjoying life there, hopefully everyone's uh, getting into what we're doing. We are going to talk about... Teams that blew a 3-1 lead, it just it isn't just the Warriors. Other teams have done it in the past. <laughs> Wait, what happened? Wait, hold on. What happened? I, I believe that the Warriors may have blown a 3-1 lead in the finals. Really? See, I don't watch I don't watch modern basketball. I'm so you know strapped into the NBA history that I have no idea what's going on in modern basketball. So I did not know that. Um, I'll have to go on the internet and see if anybody has uh, spoken about that or if it's been a, <laughs> all right. a, a topic that has been discussed. I'll, I'll do that uh, after the show, yeah. but you know, a running joke. did a very good job researching all this, but I, I had no idea of that. So thank you sure. for, uh, for enlightening yeah. there. Yeah. So Your knowledge of basketball only extends to the previous season. You <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I, what I do is I watch league pass, but I watch like the games from last year or whatever. Yeah. So like, I'm just now getting through the, uh, and the Warriors are doing great. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's going on with you guys, but, uh, they just, uh, won an NBA championship in my world. Oh, so, okay. yeah. I'm, and the Houston Rockets, we'll, we'll talk about them. They're they're flying high too, you know. Yeah. They, you know, it's not all the way there, but they won a seven game series. You know, things are looking up for the Rockets. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on in my league, so I don't know about what's going on with you guys, but uh, mine's doing pretty well. Yeah, I- I- exactly. So, well, we'll uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you. Well, I won't let you know because I don't want to <laughs> spoil things for you, Rich. So, yeah, please don't. No, no spoiler okay, alerts. Yeah, fair so. enough. All right. Well, we'll go. We'll dive into the past. We'll go into safe territory where we're not going to ruin anybody's <laughs> okay. day. And, uh, you know, we'll let the future decide itself. So, okay, good, good. Um, so we begin with the very first time that a team blew a 3 1 lead in an NBA series. It actually took 21 seasons and 48 best of seven playoff series before an NBA team lost a playoff series after taking a 3 1 lead. It was the 1968 Eastern Division Finals. The Celtics beating the 76ers. And we've talked about this game in our WrestleMania series, which you can yeah. you can go back to and listen to if you want to. Uh, we've, uh, we've discussed it a few times in our episodes discussing um, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain. So you, you'll pick any of those and you'll find it for sure. And you find some other good stuff, too. Um but, uh, yeah, this is, uh, of course, a um, ha- happening at, at a terrible time in American history where um, Martin Luther King was assassinated just a day before game one on April 4th, 1968. 
there were a lot of uh, anxious feelings about playing the game on both sides. Um, there were calls to cancel the series. They ended up playing game one on the day it was scheduled and then delaying for a few days to, you know, for the uh, memorials and all that sort of thing. So um, anyway, at, at this point, the Celtics were um, had lost to the 76ers for the previous season. Uh, it was the first time they'd lost after eight straight championships. 54 and 28, um, and uh, their key players were Bill Russell, John Havlicek, Bailey Howell, and Sam Jones. And in the second year, under a player coach Bill Russell, um, so th- this is definitely you know a a chance for Russell to um, you know get, get get back at Chamberlain after the loss before to kind of prove his credentials as coach because it, it was his first year as coach where the Celtics had finally lost the championship. Uh, meanwhile, the 76ers, Will Chamberlain, Hal Greer, Billy Cunningham, and Chet Walker just have incredible talent uh, down from 68 wins to 62, but still lead the league in SRS and incredible coach in Alex Hannum. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things uh, about the Celtics, and we, we talked about this during our WrestleMania series as well, is that you're going into the second year of player coach Bill Russell. You know, obviously that first year, as you mentioned, he loses, you know, in the NBA Finals, which is the thing, you know, in Boston, that's probably like not a you know, don't do that because we don't do that. We don't lose. Like, uh, so to have it come here where he's in another situation where his back's against the wall and he might lose here, like, we don't know exactly what was going to happen. We don't know if they were going to fire or whatever, but it could have really been a, a, a big deal if in another season of Bill Russell under control of the Celtics, they lose to the 76ers in, you know, a big time game or whatever that that could I, I don't know if that would change the trajectory all that much of a Bill Russell player coach or, or what would have happened. But you have to imagine two years of not winning a title after what they had just went through would not go over all that well in Boston. Not, no, not at all. And he definitely heard it, you know, during that offseason and, and felt like people definitely did not appreciate the fact that they had won eight in a row. And maybe, you know, just give them a little bit of break on the on the one that they lost. You know, it was it, it's really interesting to um, hear uh, I mean, I guess when there's just that expectation, you, um, you lose your common sense. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's not like fans to be irrational, of course. No, <laughs> no, no. And luckily, they've uh, they've outgrown that uh, basketball fans in general. Oh, just, yeah. You know, are much more calm about things these days. Sure. So that that's good. Yeah, calm so. and rational. We like that. So <laughs> we let things play out a little. We don't react instantly. No, no. It's not like we have tools to react. To. No, we wait it out. We see how it goes. A few, you know, and then we and then we go back and we look and we kind of analyze from that. At standpoint. Yeah. It's not instant reactions these days in 2016. No, you let it play. Right, out, we so, write, which is good. We write long letters and then we wait to send them <laughs> until we feel comfortable with what we've said. Exactly. Yeah. I do. I do um, uh, bottle messages. I only do messages. Oh, in the bottle, nice. Which Unfortunately, uh, in Illinois, it's a little tough. I mean, we have like Michigan, but it just kind of floats there. And then uh, yeah. I have to go pretty far to get to the Mississippi yeah, River, and that just doesn't really go where maybe, I want uh, either. You know, yeah, like whoever. Who, I don't even know who gets these things, but yeah, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> so um, Celtics won game one in Philly. Uh, the Sixers won the next three. Um, and there were two games uh, in Philly left to play. This was all without Billy Cunningham, who was injured in the previous series. However, things helped turn around. Sam Jones had a 37-point game five. Um, in game six, despite 40 points from Hal Greer, they sent the game back to Philly for game seven and the Celtics won it in, um, by only four points where they'd go on to beat the Lakers in the finals. Not a surprise. They would beat the Lakers. Um, (laughs) Wilt shot 20 of 48 from the free throw line from games five to seven. Um, and they lost those games by combined 30 points. So that was 28 points that they left on the table during that time. Uh, not not quite fair to expect him to make all those free throws, but it would have been nice, you know, seventy five percent, something like that. Even sixty percent would have been okay. Um, and Russell really clamped down on Chamberlain in the second half of Game Seven. He only had two shot attempts. 
Um, and it was very close down the uh, line. Uh, Russell managed to uh, get uh, a free throw, uh, blotch a shot by Chet Walker, and then rebound a miss of Hal Greer, and then passed it to Sam Jones, who was able to clinch it with a uh, a basket. So, uh, and then Russell, after the beating the Lakers in the finals, he was named Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year, kind of the, the a, a peak achievement of his career, kind of showing like, okay, he wasn't quite done yet. And they would then then win the finals again in. Uh, uh, 1969 in Russell's final season, uh, giving him 11 championships in 13 years. Whereas the uh, the 76ers, uh, Will Chamberlain um, requested, demanded a trade to the uh, ended up going to the Lakers, but they still managed a strong season. They had Jack Ramsey as their coach, who had been their GM, and um, unfortunately, though, they lost the uh, in the Eastern Division semis to again Boston. So. Um, it, pesky Boston always beating Philly during those <laughs> damn times. Celtics, yeah, man. They just exactly. beat the Lakers, beat Philadelphia. They, they should have the Lakers and the and and, and uh, the Sixers should have just come together for like one year. And be like, look, we're just going to combine teams just one time. Like, let's do this. Let's try to beat the Celtics. There you go. Yeah, well, you know, even an off season series. I'm like, all right, they beat them every year. Like, we we get really close every time. Let's just combine our powers and see what we can do. I, I've been I've been that'd be that would be interesting. Game. Yeah, there you go. So the next uh, one, it happens a year later in the ABA. The only time in the ABA that a uh, a three one lead was broken, it was the uh, it was the Indiana Pacers beating the Kentucky Colonels. Uh, they were fairly equal teams in terms of record, although the Pacers were much a stronger SRS team. The Pacers had Mel Daniels, Roger Brown, Freddie Lewis, and Bob Nedelicki. This is right at the beginning of their uh, dynasty. Uh, meanwhile, the Colonels have Louis Dampier and Daryl Carrier, who you wrote about quite a bit as uh, being one of the really f- first great uh, backcourt tandems to uh, use the uh, three-point line um, uh, quite a bit. The, of course, the ABA had the three-point line. The NBA did not have it during that time. So uh, they were – it was you know the only the second year in the ABA, so they were really able – or the third year, I believe. But So they were able to um, you know um, go to town, in, uh, so to speak. Yeah, Dampier with uh, 552 three-point attempts and Carrier with 330. And uh, to, to their credit, they shot 36.1% uh, for Dampier and then 37.9% uh, for Carrier, uh, which was really great numbers in those times, especially for that high of a volume, which, you know, now that's kind of commonplace, you know, 500 three-point you know, three attempts is, is nothing in today's game. But if you look at, you know, the other teams, I mean, that's more than in total teams did in, in the league is, you know, Dampier alone, you know, lapped numerous teams uh, in the ABA. So it was certainly just a, a, an absolute you know, out of nowhere thing. And they were one of the first teams to really embrace it and use it successfully as well. The Pacers actually lost the final game of the regular season in Kentucky. And then they lost the, uh, their playoff opener to the Colonel six days later. Um, and then they were able later to pull out a, uh, one twenty one fifteen victory, their first postseason in franchise history, which featured a wild fight uh, between uh, after Jim Caldwell gave a hard foul to Mel Daniels, uh, the Pacers backup center, George Peoples, uh, attacked Caldwell and Daniels got a big shot of his own, which was captured in a famous photograph in the following days, Indianapolis star. And um, nobody was ejected from the game and Daniels did not even get a, a technical foul. So, <laughs> um, Eventually, after the 3-1 lead, the um, the Pacers were able to pull it out with a Game 7 victory witnessed by a record crowd at the time in Indianapolis. Um, in fact, the players received a one-minute standing ovation at the uh, start of the game, and um, Dampier, 26 points, Gene Moore, 22, and Goose Ligon had 20, where uh, Ned Alicki had 32 points, Roger Brown had 29, and um, the, uh, the Pacers were able to uh, pull it out with a huge third quarter, 
and a slick Leonard was carried off the coach, the, the carried off the court by his players at the end. Pacers would end up in the ABA finals where they would lose, but the next season they would go back to the ABA finals and uh, beat the um, beat the Los Angeles Stars in six games. Yep. Meanwhile, Kentucky where would improve a little bit the next season, and then they would lose to the Indiana Pacers next year in the Eastern Division Finals. So after 21 seasons without them, we get we get three years in a row, albeit <laughs> in two different leagues. 1970 Western Division semifinals, Lakers over the Suns. The Lakers were 46 and 36. The Suns were 39 and 43. Uh, Lakers had Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, and Will Chamberlain. Of course, he, or he had been injured for much of the regular season, only played 12 games there. Uh, actually came back early for the playoffs and uh, quite courageously, uh, honestly. The Suns had um, Paul Silas, uh, Connie Hawkins, uh, Dick Van Arsdale, and Good. Gail Goodrich, a former Laker who would go back to the Lakers in just a couple of seasons, but had sort of emerged as a all-star caliber player while in Phoenix. Um, Lakers won game one. The Suns then fairly easily took the next three games before the Lakers got it going in uh, game five. Uh, the Suns had were eighth in SRS in a 14-team league, so that would have made it a pretty big upset. The, the Lakers were not a great regular season team that year, a lot of it because of Wilt's injury. Baylor was um, getting older, and, and, and West was almost always dealing with injuries. So, so like injuries playing a big part in, uh, in their struggles and age, of course, as well. Um, and, and the turning point, though— um, was you know Wilt really started to um, get it going at, late in the series? Yeah, you know they they had a lot of trouble getting him in into the flow of the offense. Obviously, he'd been hurt all year, like you had said, and, and it was kind of hard to kind of get things going. But it, it, things just seemed to click in Game Five. Uh, from that point on, the Lakers you know dominated the series. Uh, they won the final three games by a combined sixty three points. Uh, Jerry West had two thirty five point games, and Wilt chipped in uh, thirty of his own uh, in games five and seven to end uh, all hopes uh, of an upset for Phoenix. So darn. Yeah. Almost there, Phoenix. Sorry. Almost, yeah. Um, next year, the Lakers would win 48 games, despite Elgin Baylor only playing two games that season. They beat the Bulls in the opening round, but they lost to the Bucks and Kareem in the Western Conference Finals. Um, I believe West was hurt in that Western Conference Finals as well. Uh, the following season, however, Baylor would retire. They'd win 33 games in a row and finish with uh, 69 wins, uh, setting a record for the time and then beating the Knicks for the NBA championship. Meanwhile, the Suns would be up uh, 48 uh, wins um, under new coach Cotton Fitzsimmons. However, they would miss the playoffs. Despite <laughs> a nine-win improvement, <laughs> wouldn't make the playoffs again until '76. Now, this was a weird time where you know they, they had just split from divisions into conferences. I think actually '71 is would be the first year that happened, and. Um, they had weird rules for a while where the top two teams from each division made the playoffs. So you could have a much, you know, you could have a much worse record and make the playoffs if you just happen to be in, in the right division. So um, they eventually got, they got rid of that after a few seasons and then made it more fair. There were still some, you know, odd ones here and there. And of course, conferences, there's, there's you know, we, we see conference disparity prevents, <clears throat> uh, you know, good teams from making the playoffs every once in a while, although it's usually not quite that, um, you know, that bad of a situation. Yeah, this one uh, in this particular, the San Francisco Warriors, they were 41 and 41, but just so happened to be in the Pacific Division. So they made it in uh, was the Suns. They were third in the Midwest Division because there was the, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Bulls ahead of them. So, yeah, the Suns win 48. And actually, that Midwest Division was stacked. I mean, you had the Bucks uh, 66 and 16, the Bulls at 51 and 31, uh, the Suns at 48 and 34. And then the Detroit Pistons were fourth in that division at 45 and 37. But they missed the playoffs despite the fact that they were, what, you know, three games worse than the number one 
one team in the Pacific Division, the Los Angeles Lakers. So yeah, that was just uh, uh, the division's not quite being good. So I can't imagine, cannot even imagine the outrage today if that would have happened. And we still get it bad, like you said, but not nearly like this bad, where Detroit, you know, doesn't even sniff a playoffs, and they're four games better than you know the Warriors. So yeah, exactly. So um, so next we have the seventy nine Eastern Conference Finals. So so things uh, it takes a while for the next three one lead. Uh, the end of the decade, the Washington Bullets going over the uh, San Antonio Spurs. The uh, Bullets were the defending NBA champions, fifty four win team with a, uh, a a strong SRS four point seven five. Although the Spurs actually was fairly close, four point nine seven, which led the league that year. Uh, Elvin Hayes, Bob Dandridge, Wes Unseld, also there. He's thirty two, starting to show his age. Hayes is a little bit as well. Um, meanwhile, the Spurs have uh, George Gervin and Larry Keenan, um, and they have uh, George Carl on their team. One of the a, uh, a future uh, coach, George Carl, of course. Um, and yes, the Spurs were in the Eastern Conference for uh, that time, just for just for uh, I believe three seasons after the um, after the merger, they would be in the Eastern Conference, and eventually things would align in um, in eighty one. Um, and uh, George Gervin played really well during this series. He scored thirty four points in Game One, forty two in Game Four. But the Bolts were able to turn it around in Games Five and Six. You know, effective work from Elvin Hayes. Uh, he had twenty four points in Game Five to really help the uh, the Bolts. Uh, twenty five points in Game Six as well. Uh, so he was a big part of it. Uh, and the Spurs actually, you know, in the Game Seven, which there there is a YouTube video I believe that has almost the entire uh, Game Seven. If you are interested in checking it out, uh, they led for most of the second half of Game Seven uh, until there was a furious Washington rally late in the fourth uh, that led the Bullets to the 1979 NBA Finals, of course, defeating the Spurs. Uh, but it was not without controversy because after the game, uh, Doug Moe, the uh, San Antonio Spurs head coach, uh, had some pointed comments about the officiating late in the game. Um, his, oh, well, we'll get his quote here in a little bit, but in the final three minutes and 39 seconds, nine fouls were called against uh, uh, nine fouls were called with seven against the Spurs, so uh, seven of those nine were called against the Spurs. Uh, Washington went 11 for 15 from the foul line in the final quarter while the Spurs only made three of four. Uh, so Doug Moe, after the game, said the refs stole it. John Vanek and Paul Malik wouldn't make a call for us at the end. It was a great refereed game, and then they just stole it at the end. It makes you wonder if it was on purpose. They should just set... They... <laughs> Jeez, Doug, they should be set before the firing squad. I don't know if you could say that anymore, Doug. I feel like that would not go no, over well. That would not go over they, well. <laughs> they, Washington, you know, they, Washington, stole their way into the NBA Finals. Vanek just takes over and puts it into you. Who knows if it's personal? So, Doug Moe not happy. So, he, he uh, wants them to be shot <laughs> via firing squad, uh, the referees. But, uh, yeah, definitely uh, a lot of frustration in there, and, and it's still a... Um, uh, a point of contention for some Spurs fans is that that was kind of stolen from them and that they would have beat the Bullets had not for, you know, the referees kind of uh, fix it, uh, not fixing it, you know, whatever, just not playing, not, not refereeing well or whatever it may be. But people still kind of look at that as, as a big moment. So um, I don't know. I wasn't there in the moment, so I, I, I can't say. But it does. That discrepancy is pretty bad. But uh, just on its face, it's hard to really, you know, discrepancies can come from a lot of different ways. And, you know, the Bullets, of course, were a team that were, were pretty good at. At drawn fouls as well, so yeah, and a lot of inside scoring where the yeah. um uh, the, the Spurs were more perimeter oriented team. So exactly, um, I, I you know I don't know if Gervin was particularly strong at drawing fouls. I know you know he was obviously more of a jump shooter, but um he may have had that skill as well. But either way, yes, uh, interesting. Uh, certainly uh, pointed comments from uh, from old Doug. Uh, <laughs> the never opinionated Doug Mo. Right. Doug Mo usually uh, usually quiet and keeps to himself. So that was good that he. Uh, let himself out for, for a moment. So the teams, they kept pretty much things together, uh, but they neither team did particularly well the next season. The Bullets fell quite a bit, winning only 39 games, losing in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Uh, age 
injuries were a combination uh, there. We actually have a show upcoming looking at the late 70s uh, bullets, which I, I think will had great guests and will have some uh, interesting insight into the end of that team. And then the um, the Spurs won 41 games, uh, but uh, Doug Moe was let go in the uh, season's uh, final stretch, and they lost in the first round to the Rockets, who were also in the East. Um so, and that was the final year those two teams were in the Eastern Conference before Dallas would come into the league the next season, and that would be a realignment, which would basically put teams that, you know, um, in the conferences as we pretty much know them today. Obviously, the teams have been added since then, but you know, the 23 teams at the time were pretty much in the conferences as we know them today. Yeah. Exactly. So next is the 1981 Eastern Conference Finals, the Celtics beating the 76ers. Um and uh, both teams had identical uh, 62 uh, win, uh, 62 wins, and uh, were both very strong SRS teams. Um, the Celtics 6.05, and the 76ers 7.76, which uh, very nice, you know, 76, uh, 76ers, you know, it's like they tried, yeah. it. they tried. They're like, what's our SRS? Guy? I'm sure they did. Right, yeah, I'm sure Dr. J was very concerned about you know winning by the exact right margin in the uh, you know <laughs> exactly, in, yeah. in the tough uh, road games to be able to and, and telling other uh, other parts of the league too to like to to stay stable. We're good, you know. Don't uh, everyone keep their margins exactly the same? We got to get this uh, the stat that has not been created yet in about you know 20 years maybe will be created yeah. please let's all hold off and let's try to do it I, but uh, thank you I, I i i'm glad he did do that, yeah i'm so. sure they talked to john vanek and and paul millack and uh, you know got them to <laughs> you know exactly get the point differential you know at the right spot so uh anyway the um uh, the Celtics had Larry Bird, of course, led the team in scoring rebounding. Robert Parrish, who had this was his first year on the team, had been traded from um Golden State along with uh, rookie um Kevin McHale, uh, Cedric Maxwell and Tiny Archibald also on the team. Where meanwhile, the, the Sixers have Bobby Jones, uh, Daryl Dawkins, um, and uh, and um, uh, Maurice Cheeks, and a lot, you know, a lot of great players that they would have. I think Andrew Tony was a rookie during this time as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, what happened, Rich? Yeah, so the Celtics weathered, you know, a three-one deficit from uh, the 76ers to eventually eliminate them. Uh, Larry Bird, who was looking for revenge after the Sixers had beaten the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals the year before, uh, he exploded for 32 points in Game 5 and chipped in 25 and 23 in Game 6 and 7. Uh, the final kind of stretch, uh, Bobby Jones chased down a defensive rebound uh, uh, 80 feet from the basket and smartly called a timeout with just a second left in the series to give the 76ers one final chance. So they have one final chance to, you know, finally be able to kind of, you know, not lose the Celtics, get this one, you know, get another victory, get another huge win against the Celtics. Uh, did not work, though. After leading for most of the last three games, including double digits of bandits each uh, each time, they lost each and every time. And yet the Celtics, they still are the, the Sixers. Rather, they had one final chance to reverse all that late game negative momentum, all the stuff that had happened to finally kind of, you know, let this, you know, not worry about the Celtics anymore. Uh, with the ball advanced, they have court. Uh, Cunningham drew up a play as coach uh, Billy Cunningham drew up a play for an alley-oop lob. Uh, for Julius Serving, which makes sense. You got one, you, you know, you got a second left and you got Julius Serving on your team. Not a bad play. Uh, but Bird's leaping, hands extended defense forced uh, Jones to throw a difficult 50 foot pass way too high. Our Irving was br- open briefly, but the pass sailed uh, off the top of the middle of the backboard too high for even the doctor to soar and reach. Uh, and it took a, uh, a weird bounce to the Boston bench uh, and a bunch of fans ran out of the court. And that was it uh, for. 
the the 76 or so not a bad play you, you know it seems like a good idea but just didn't quite work um as far as the turning point of the series or what really kind of shifted it all it's hard to say there wasn't really one point i mean five of the seven games were decided by one score including two that came down to a single point uh of the others only game two uh an 18 point celtics win was a true blowout so it's it was as close of a you, you know dropping it through an advantage as any, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't necessarily that, you know, the Sixers had it in hand and, and completely blew it. It was a back and forth series the entire time. It just so happened that the Celtics were just better on this uh, particular time. So uh, not really a huge turning point, just kind of a, a well-played uh, series and one that a lot of people uh, still regard as one of the better seven-game series of all time just because it was always close and it was always a back and forth uh, affair. Yeah, and two great teams, of course, you know. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, teams. You know. yeah, so so really, um, I, you know, I really Amazing series as well, and, and and next year things would it would it would be another great competitive series where the uh, Sixers would get a three uh, one lead and almost lose it, but manage to win it in Game Seven. The Celtics won sixty three games that year and uh, lost to the Sixers, who won fifty eight games that year in the Eastern Conference Finals. And the Sixers would make the finals, but then lose in six to the Lakers. Uh, and then that would prompt them to make the trade that would bring in Moses Malone and um, and the Fofofo fo, fo, uh, 83 season that's uh, famous in uh, 76ers history. Absolutely. And then uh, 1995, the Western Conference semifinals, the Houston Rockets beat the uh, Phoenix Suns. It was the. Uh, it was the first time since 68 that a lower seeded team came back from a three, one deficit to, um, to win the series. Um, Phoenix completely, uh, blitzed the Rockets in games one and two Houston did come back with a pretty big win in game three. And then, uh, Phoenix won a narrow four point win in game four. Looked like, of course they're doing pretty well. Uh, the Rockets, uh, 47 and 35 that year, only a two, three point three two SRS. We had a whole show on the 95, uh, Rockets. We, well, not just the Rockets, but looking back at 1995 and a lot of it was on the Rockets with, um, with Adi Joseph of the sporting news, which is, uh, everyone should uh, check out if, uh, if you haven't. And the, uh, talked a lot about that team, Hakeem Olajuwon, of course, uh, Clyde, Rexer, who came over in a midseason trade, Sam Cassell, Robert Ory, Kenny Smith, Vernon Maxwell, and then um, the uh, Suns, uh, 59 and 23 that year, th- 3.85 SRS. Charles Barkley is still there, leads the team in scoring and rebounding. Um, Dan Marley, Kevin Johnson, Danny Manning had been added as well from Atlanta. And um, so, and this is in the Rockets were 60 this year, and, and this is famously they managed to. Uh, you know, I think every team they beat in every round had 59 or more wins uh, during that time. So just completely, you know, beat teams. Yeah, it's a hellacious run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> crazy. So, um, and then in a lot of it, of course, was Akeem Olajuwon. Yeah, so Akeem, he averaged uh, 30 points per game uh, for the final three games of the series, including a 30-point, 10-assist, 8-rebound, 5-block performance uh, in Game 6. And we talked a lot about that game uh, in that podcast that we mentioned uh, before. Uh, Charles Barkley and Kevin Johnson were uh, just as brilliant, especially in Game 7, where um, uh, Barkley had 23 rebounds and Kevin Johnson had 46 points. But in the end, it was uh, Mario Eli who sealed the deal for Houston, a famous shot from Mario Eli. You know, they got all these stars and all these Great players, and it's Mario Eli that really uh, does the thing. Here's a, a report from the LA Times. It was Scott Howard Cooper uh, that wrote this. Uh, the Rockets facing elimination for the fifth time this postseason and the eighth in the last two. Turned not to Hakeem Olajuwon or Clyde Drexler for the life preserver, but Mario Eli. He responded by switching a baseline three-pointer with 7.1 seconds left. That broke a 110-110 tie and propelled them to a 115-114 victory over the Phoenix Suns in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. 
Uh, everyone counted us out. Phoenix was going to beat us in six, as Mario Ellie talking as well. Utah was going to beat us in four. But both of those teams, they're going to be watching us. So that was Mario Ellie very happy. And he, of course, did the kiss, the famous kiss after he made the shot. But uh, just a, a, an incredible run for, for this Houston Rockets team who, who just at no point in any part of the season looked like they were going to win the NBA championship until they actually, you know, won the NBA. It, it's just a crazy, a crazy year. One of the craziest years I'd say almost of, of any NBA champion in history. Oh yeah. I think so. I mean, I think that run is, is pretty much unparalleled for just the, the tough sledding they had. And you know, even though they'd won the championship the year before, so they clearly had though that, 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 you know, ability to do so, but they had, you know, changed the team over quite a bit and had a lot to prove and were able to make an amazing thing. I, I think the the Celtics uh, in 68, you know, coming back from or excuse me, the Celtics in 69, that last run that they made, I think is is one that's, you know, pretty comparable. But there aren't many that that, that, that come close to that. Um, uh, so, yeah, the Rockets the next season won 48 games, looked like they were, you know, still going pretty strong, but they were swept by the uh, Supersonics in the Western Conference semifinals. And they would acquire Charles Barkley from the Suns, who that year only won 41 games and lost in the first round in four games to the uh, Spurs, three games to one. So, um, so that so big changes for them after that uh, after that season. Yeah, it would never uh, never quite be the same for uh, really uh, either franchise until they kind of. Yeah. It, it took me almost a decade for for both franchises kind of get a little bit back, you know, on on, on footing. You know, obviously yeah. Nash coming to the Suns really kind of got them back. Um, yeah. And the Rockets, you know, of course, uh, Yao Ming and, and Trace McGrady in that little era kind of yeah. got them going. Yeah, the Suns had some okay late '90s teams, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Jason, Jason Kidd years, that, yeah. But until they until they acquired Stephon Marbury, then that didn't that really didn't go work well. That well. Yeah. <laughs> it did not, but that's okay. Hey, so. Uh, 1997 Eastern Conference semifinals. The Heat uh, beat the Knicks, and uh, yeah, this one was uh, Eastern Conference uh, basketball <laughs> from the late 90s to the early 2000s. Generally, not the prettiest to watch, and the pace rating was 87.6. And uh, teams managed to only uh, score more than 100 points just once between the two. So, yeah, not so great. No, and what's weird is uh, these teams have some pretty good players on both times, like dynamic scores uh, as well. The Miami Heat, they were a 61 and 21 this year with a 5.56 SRS. Uh, the key players are Tim Hardaway, uh, who led the team in scoring and assists, Alonzo Mourning, Jamal Mashburn. Uh, the big storyline, though, here was uh, the coach of Miami was, of course, Pat Riley. This was his second year in Miami after four years in New York. Uh, famously, in 1995, Riley resigned from the Knicks via fax to become the head coach and the team president of the Miami Heat. Uh, the move caused a lot of controversy as the Heat were accused uh, by the Knicks of tampering and pursuing Riley while he still had a year remaining on his contract. Uh, the matter was settled uh, after the Heat sent their 1996 first-round pick which the Knicks would use to draft Walter McCartney uh, and $1 million cash to the Knicks on September 1st, 1995. Uh, and then, of course, so it, it would really add that extra little bit to the rivalry, too. And these teams just generally hated each other as well. Uh, the New York Knicks, they were 57-25 and 25 this year with a 3.31 SRS. Uh, their key players were Patrick Ewing, who led the team in both uh, points and rebounds, Allen Houston, John Starks, Larry Johnson, and Charles Oakley. Uh, the big turning point of this entire series, and this is a clear line of when this series completely changed around, was Game 5. It was uh, P.J. Brown and Charlie Ward. Uh, they got in a fight. Uh, it saw P.J. Brown basically flip or body slam Charlie Ward into the crowd, which was just a hellacious, you know, body slam as well. Uh, and so it caused a, a big melee. A bunch of people left the bench. A bunch of things happened. And essentially what happened is the there were suspensions uh, to Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, Alan Houston, and John Starks, which, by the way, uh, were four of the Knicks' top six players in win shares. So it completely changed the series from there. Uh, the Knicks, who had cruised to a through and lead in the series, had to play games six and seven shorthanded uh, due to the NBA staggering the suspension. So they didn't do the 
all the suspensions all at once. They staggered them, which probably hurt them even more than if they had just done it all at once. So, uh, and the result was the first trip to the conference finals for the Miami Heat. Uh, Patrick going not so happy about this. This is uh, from a New York Times piece uh, as well. He says, in a way, I feel like I was robbed, but that's life. I believed in my teammates. I thought we had a great team. The chemistry was great. Everything was great. We went extremely well, but it just didn't happen. I still don't think I did anything to be suspended for, but that's just the way the NBA is. Indeed. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if it really, really would have made I mean, they definitely could have won the series and they were primed to win this series. I don't know in the scheme of things if they were going to be winning, you know, beating the Bulls that year. Probably not. But um, it is interesting. Um, it was this was that the rule that ended up, you know, where players couldn't leave the bench? Any bench would lead to a suspension any leaving the yes bench, I, I believe that's what when that happened yeah yeah exactly that that is the one yeah we'll, we'll talk about it here in a little bit because it does affect another team that we're going to talk about here a little bit not a, yes. not a team that lost a series but a team that would in the next year after losing a series uh you know have some issues as well but we'll get to that right. here in a second so uh the heat the next year would win 55 games and would lose in the eastern conference first round in five games to the knicks who won 43 games that year so quite a decent uh, upset there um and um and then felt, of course, uh, fell to Indiana in five games in the uh, second round. So, and that's that's the famous. I believe that is the series with the Van Gundy holding onto the leg and and all that sort of stuff. That series was. Oh just, yeah, that's right. That was even uglier. That one, yeah. I think, because that was just the one where every game was just a fight between those two teams, and it was just like the basketball was awful. It was just fighting all the time. It was just a mess. But uh, yeah, there you go. So. There you go. Yeah, uh, well, that's when basketball. That's when these guys were tough. You know, play <laughs> right, defense. Yeah. Those games are awful. Go watch a highlight. Yeah, <laughs> those games. I, suck. I you know, I, I'm not quite as anti those games as you are, but yeah, it's definitely not. It, it definitely bogs down into some very un pleasing basketball it, it's something it's just pat riley what are you doing pat yeah <laughs> come on uh, you know i get, i mean i guess it worked in a sense but uh, at the time but yeah i, I um I, i'm glad we pay i'm glad there's more pace uh now you know yeah, i, I, I wouldn't mind a little more variety sometimes now but i i do like yeah, it'd be fun for like one or two teams to like run this style and just try to like yeah. absolutely grind you down to a halt like the grizzlies kind of do yeah, it but not nearly not as much extent, anymore so. yeah no yeah well, see, I'm, I'm a year behind. So oh, know, that's so. right. Yes. <laughs> so how did it go? Wait, what? <laughs> Never mind. Is Zach Randolph still good or what? So next we have the 2003 Eastern Conference first round, the Pistons over the Magic. Oh, this, this, is a, uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite series of all time because I'm a uh, unabashed Trace McGrady hater. So this was, uh, especially in this, uh, this time, I, I was... Uh, very much a, a Trace McGrady here because I, I like Dirk and my friends all like Trace McGrady and I okay. had to be like, no you know and you had to draw a line in the sand because we were because like, <laughs> you have fourteen so it couldn't be one it couldn't be both you yeah. couldn't like Trace McGrady and Dirk it was like you either one 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 of them is good and the other is awful <laughs> so I chose Dirk as good and Trace McGrady was awful so you, you ha- I I think you are the only person who's ever had to pick between uh, Dirk and Tracy McGrady but you know like Tracy McGrady Vince Carter yeah like okay no because yeah, well, no, I was a Vince guy too so I think yeah. that played a little bit into it too because okay. I was a Vince guy as well so it was kind of a you did have to choose that but it, I remember a, a distinct argument being Dirk versus Trace McGrady I do not know why but I, there you go I, yeah th- that was right before <laughs> my super NBA fandom so I do not remember that but uh, but alright I'll, I'll take your word for it Rich I, th- I don't think anybody else did this I okay. think it was only me and my like group of friends right, so I, I don't think this was like a national thing of like who would you choose Tracy McGrady or, or this tall German guy? All right. Well, if anybody else ever had that fight, you can let us know on yes, on Twitter or uh, Facebook at Over and Back NBA. So, um, 
yeah, so this was the first time the first round was a best of seven format. They changed the rule that year. And in fact, if the Magic had gotten a 3 1 lead, the series would have been over because that would have, um, that, that of course, it would have been a five game series. And the, the Pistons were the number one seed, the Magic with the eight seed. So that, of course, would have been, you know, that, that would have made history. The only the second time that would have, or I guess the third time that would have uh, happened in the, uh, in the first round. So that would have been big. However, um, the uh, under the new rules, the Pistons had a chance to come back. The Pistons were right on the edge of you know getting their really great teams. They had Rip Hamilton, Chauncey Billups, uh, Ben Wallace. Deshaun Prince was coming off the bench. I think he was a rookie that year, so um, so he was new. They also had Clifford Robinson, Chorus Williamson. In addition, they would make the big trade next year for Rasheed Wallace. That would change their fortunes and and let them to be you know very good team uh, to great team for the next five six years. 15 and 32 that year, the Magic 42 and 40. So not actually that huge of a record difference. Um, the SRS disparity, the Pistons were 2.97. The Magic were just under or negative uh, 0.39. So they were not a terrible team, but not obviously a very good one. Tracy McGrady, 32.1 points per game that season. Mike Miller on the team. Gordon Gearcheck, the legendary Gordon Gearcheck. Uh, Drew Gooden and Fat Sean Kemp. Uh, the corpse of Sean Kemp yes, is still there. Yes. Yes. So um, definitely in his uh, in his big days for sure. Uh, yeah. So as far as the series, uh, Tracy McGrady averaged uh, 31.7 points per game and 6.7 rebounds per game. Uh, ben Wallace was an absolute monster. It was kind of his coming out um, it, coming out year. And then I think yeah. the series especially uh, just an absolute monster. He averaged uh, 17.9 uh, rebounds per game and was just tenacious on defense and and was known for, you know, in big moments, locking down Tracy McGrady when they really needed a, a big stop or a big win. So yeah. just an incredible year. I think he actually got MVP shares this year, too, which seemed kind of wild at the time. But uh, he then sort of proved that that wasn't all that wild the next few years. Um, when, when he kind of emerged uh, and kind of became a, a you know short-term defensive superstar, which is something that uh, it's just hard to believe these days that there was a time when like this guy who just did not score, didn't really want to score, was like a bona fide MVP contender. But it, it was it was there. I mean, he was he was a game changer yeah, at that point. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, of course, Ben Wallace actually played for the Magic, and he was part of yeah, exactly. you know, the he, Grant Hill sign and trade. So um, he kind of almost a throw in that you know um, no one really kind of knew what to do with him. You know, they thought he was a decent rebounder, but wasn't really special in 2000 and obviously you know uh unfortunately because of injuries grant hill didn't do very much in orlando and ben wallace you know became the defensive superstar in uh, in detroit so it's funny how things happen yeah exactly uh the turning point of the uh the entire series kind of game five uh with the series in hand uh detroit holds orlando to 67 points in a 98 67 win uh orlando would really never recover um just just real bad uh espn.com recap though tracy mcgrady you know he didn't think so after that game he says uh, he walked off the court uh, and he responded to detroit's taunting uh fans by flashing three fingers then two to signify his team's lead in the series there's no reason to get discouraged mcgrady said after the team's 31 point loss they're still playing catch-up Whoops, Detroit won the next two games, 103-88 and 108-93 to eliminate Orlando. Not even close, really, yeah. <laughs> so, oops. So the uh, the next season, the Pistons, moving on up, winning the NBA Finals after they add Rasheed Wallace, upset the uh, Lakers that, of course, had Kobe and Shaq and also uh, had added Carl Malone and Gary Payton the last year of the Kobe and Shaq uh, era before Shaq is traded. Meanwhile, the Magic, they only won 21 games that year. They missed the NBA playoffs. Doc Rivers, who had been their coach, was fired 11 games a season. That was McGrady's last year in Orlando. He would be traded to the uh, to the Rockets. So, And then the um, eventually the, um, the Magic would rebuild and get Dwight Howard and then form a new, um, a, a new pretty good uh, run toward the end of the decade. Uh, 
with understand Van Gundy. So, uh, so a, a temporary blip for the uh, Magic. A couple of uh, not so great years before the things would get to, uh, better for them. Yeah, they're pretty good at, so, at reinventing themselves a few times uh, every so often. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how long this little franchise is going to take now uh, to get going yeah. again. But they've been they've had to do it a few times in their career, and they've they've done it pretty well each of those times. So right, yeah, yeah the, the Magic have a they have a tendency for superstars to end their tenures badly there, and uh, then have to rebuild in the fly. And then yeah, actually, this is sort of the worst uh, uh, situation of that. At least the, the longest they've gone without making the playoffs. So yeah, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, next, uh, 2006, the Western Conference first round, the uh, Suns beating the Lakers. And um, the uh, the games were extremely close. Um, they were all, The first four were all decided by single digits. Uh, one of the Lakers' wins came down to a single point. So a, uh, a close beginning. The, uh, the Suns that year, 54 and 28. Um, it was the second straight year for Steve Nash winning the MVP and being the leader of the uh, Suns. Sean Murray led the team in scoring and rebounding. Uh, Raja Bell, also a great defensive player. Boris Diaw had come there. He had sort of taken the place of Amare Stoudemire after Amare had uh, had been injured for almost the entire season. Uh, had and uh, and Tim Thomas uh, came in and uh, I, I think it played for the Knicks before there was the Bulls. I forget. He did. I think it was it might have been both. I think he definitely played for the Bulls that year. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I think he was in a trade or maybe, it, I don't know it, if he started with the Bulls or, or yeah. something. He I think he came in a trade or, or something like that. And yeah, it just uh, was he with the Eddie Curry trade? Um uh, that might be. I don't yeah, I'm know. like I, I, he, he, Tim Thomas definitely was with the Knicks later as well because he he got a big contract with the Knicks, but I can't remember if he if he had been with the Knicks before that. Anyway, yeah, well, not, not, oh, he probably parlayed. I think he parlayed this into the Knicks contract because he was awesome this year for the Suns yes. and like had like multiple great games and loved just t- you know slapping a headband and making a a fool of himself. But it was pretty great. This is like the Tim Thomas resurrection season, so it was it was the best thing ever. But yeah, and and he hit well, you know, he hit the game winner in the next series against the Clips. But, yes, yeah, yep. that's right. Um, and then uh. The Lakers, meanwhile, Kobe Bryant, and uh, who had averaged 35, 35.4 points per game that year, Lamar Odom, and not much else. Smush Parker. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It's really, I'm trying to find the third best player on this. I, Andrew Bynum was on the team, but he was like yeah. 18 and barely played. But right. uh, that doesn't yeah. quite count. Uh, not a fun team at yeah. all. Pretty. Uh, 45 well the, the record 45 and 37 yeah. pretty good 2.53 srs so um you know they they didn't weren't too bad on the court but uh and phil jackson had, had just recently come back so they were on their path to you know building the team that eventually you know adding Pau gasol uh bynum coming into his own and getting some good role players and of course winning the two championships at the end of the decade but uh, we're quite a ways from that uh however yeah they took the uh, 3-1 lead in this series and then eh, the sons were able to turn it around yeah, at a certain point, really uh, pulling away, I, I, it would probably be Game Five again, which you know obviously is, is a trend through many of these. Yeah. That uh, Game Five is really the, the big time, uh, but of course, yeah, the the, the Suns you know, pulled away. Uh, they won Game Five by seventeen, uh, and then Game Seven by thirty-one. Uh, this is an ESPN recap of that Game Seven. The Phoenix Suns went from the brink to a blowout, from the edge of elimination to one of the most impressive turnarounds in NBA playoff history. And then uh, Dan Tony, Mike Tony, of course, uh, the Phoenix coach. I'm gonna steal a line from Disney and say it's a small world after all. I guess small guys can play. That's about as good as we can play 
every one of our guys, I can't pick one out. All of them had an amazing game. I know this was famous because Leandro Barbosa kind of exploded out of nowhere. It was just like anybody at the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they, anything they, they touched went turned to gold, you know, this season. Uh, you know, even without Amari Stoudemire, everything was going well. You know, I, they grab anybody off the bench. They do well. You put Borstio instead of a Stoudemire. Didn't miss a beat, but it was just a perfect storm of, of things happening for Phoenix. Uh, Kobe, not so much for him and, and his Lakers. Uh, here's his quote from the ESPN article. Uh, if we were going to get back in this type of game, we have to have everybody contributing. They just have a lot of talent over there, a lot of firepower. They stepped up to the challenge and kept coming at us in waves. We just didn't have enough in the tank to hold on. So, yeah. and that was that's a cry for help. Please get me somebody better than Kwame Brown would be great. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> like, and that was when Kobe, um, I don't think he took a shot. It was either in the fourth quarter or the entire second half. Yep, that is exactly the one. I, I I forgot what actually started that or whatever, but yeah, it's like kind of the famous one that you'll see where he, he doesn't look very pleased and he's just kind of not shooting at all. Like yeah. it, it's it's very strange. Yeah, it's a uh, it's is as much of an on court pouting as you can see uh, from especially from somebody who's so super competitive like Kobe. Yeah, it's sort of a weird uh, blip in his career. And then you know it wouldn't be. I think it was a season later where he you know dem- demanded the trade and almost got traded and it, they couldn't work out a deal. And then. Uh, eventually he rescinded that and they got Pau Gasol and, you know, the rest is history. But, um, anyway, it's sort of an interesting, a little bit, maybe a forgotten time in uh, Lakers lore because of course how well things turned out after that. Um, so next season, the Suns, they won 61 games, but fell in somewhat controversial fashion to the Spurs in the Western Conference Finals. That was the famous, um, Robert Ory, hip checks, uh, Steve Nash, and uh, a couple of sons, including Mark Stoudemire, uh, come off of the uh, just barely come off of the bench, but uh, they they are suspended anyway, and that prevents the sons from. We, they had no chance to win that series. Whether they would have been able to win that series or not is up in, is of course uh, uh, no one knows, but they definitely couldn't without those players. And then the uh, Lakers that season, they won 42 games, but lost to the Suns again in the uh, first round. So it took a step back before things got better for them. Absolutely. And our last one, the uh, 2015 Western Conference semifinals, Rockets over the uh, Clippers. Uh, the Rockets had just been destroyed by the uh, had been destroyed by Gabe Street and four lost by 54, 58 points combined in both games. And yeah, this lo- this series looked like, the, you know, the Rockets had absolutely no chance. The Clippers were, you know, really doing great. They even they'd even won game one after uh, Chris Ball had missed that game. It just really looked like the Clippers had just come off some great momentum from um, beating San Antonio in the first round. You and I did a podcast right after that game because that was just an exciting game. And, and yeah. um, <laughs> you, you know, we had some other we were talking about other game sevens as well. But that one just really, you know, was, was so exciting. It looked like okay maybe things are turning around for the clippers maybe they'll um things will go really well but not so much no they're still the clippers so <laughs> houston came out hot on uh, game five it was 26 points from james harden uh, 20 and 15 from dwight howard and also 15 points off the bench for uh, Corey brewer game six once again saw houston dominate they won by 12 points before closing out the clippers by 13 in game seven uh james harden scored 31 points dwight howard had 16 and 15 uh, and this is from NBA.com for uh, for one thrilling Sunday. And this was like a Sunday afternoon game too. It was a very odd, <laughs> uh, random Sunday afternoon game that this game seven was. But it was a super cool moment for uh, you know obviously Rockets fans and just to see uh, kind of the collapse of the, the Clippers. But uh, for one thrilling Sunday, it was perfect chaos. All these inspired men doing things that nobody had expected a week ago, exploding like a fiery red volcano after so many years of bubbling frustration. For one emotional afternoon, it was sheer madness. All the screaming and cheering, the rocking and rolling that made you feel as if you had just stem- stepped inside a time warp. Yeah, and that yeah that 
that Rockets team was such a weird, you know, obviously they have Dwight, they have James Harden, and they just have all these, like, really weird, you know, J- Josh Smith steps up really well and, and hits, hits yeah. a bunch of random <laughs> yeah. threes. Yeah, that was in game six. And, um, and yeah, and then that, that was that huge comeback that they uh, had that just totally just blitzed them. You know, it, it, like I said, the Clippers, like they were going to totally win game six and then, you know, just everything turned around. It was just one of the craziest um, switches in momentum that I've ever seen in an individual game. And in, in that obviously typified what happened in that series. Uh, next season, the Rockets only 41 games. Uh, Coach Kevin McHale will be fired after 11 games. They'd be eliminated in the playoffs in um uh, in five games by the Warriors in the first round, not putting out much of a fight there, uh, despite the uh, Warriors losing Steph Curry for a few games in that series. Uh, Clippers, meanwhile, did pretty well the next season, despite um, uh, um, despite Blake Griffin missing quite a bit of time. They won 52 games, but then they lost in Western Conference first round to the Trailblazers after Griffin was hurt again and, and, and Chris Paul was hurt. I think they both were hurt like in the same game, if I, if I remember that correctly. So, yeah. Um, uh, so not a good uh, situation for them. And, of course, both teams, uh, you know, we'll see what happens for uh, for this upcoming season because both have interesting expectations that uh, we'll see how that goes. So thanks, everyone, for uh, checking us out. You can uh, find us at the Step Back, our new home at uh, Fansided. And um, you can also find us on iTunes or uh, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, just uh, search for Over and Back. And uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Over and Back NBA. So thanks for listening, and we're back again soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.